0: Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another episode of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. In this episode, I sit down with actress and producer Elizabeth Moss. At age 15, Elizabeth Moss had to choose between ballet and acting, and she was very good at both. Watching her on shows like The West Wing, Mad Men, and Top of the Lake, it's easy to say she made the right choice. But she's someone who would have embraced piano, sports, or medicine with equal focus and passion. Though anything outside of the arts would have come as a serious shock to her musician parents. She's had no formal acting training, and that very lack might be what gives her such immediate access to her characters. It's an instinct she can't fully explain, but she gave it a good try in our conversation. Elizabeth shared techniques she's tried and thrown out the window, what she's learned from some of the best sets in the business, her thoughts on ass-kissing, and why she's terrified to direct. She told me she has no set criteria for choosing roles, but loves characters that show both strength and vulnerability. Nowhere is that more obvious than The Handmaid's Tale, which, beyond being in almost every frame of, she also produces. As a woman assigned to be a womb with legs for a new puritanical regime, she personifies the horror of waking up to a reality she never saw coming. It may be a feminist story, but by that definition, it's also a humanist story, and one we should all be paying close attention to. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi Lizzie.
1: Hi Sam, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You know, I, I met you once a long time ago, maybe the first or second season of Mad Men, mm-hmm. at the time when no one knew where that was going to go. Uh-huh. And in looking back over this, knowing you were coming in, It's more than impressive. It's kind of diabolical, your work (laughs) schedule, because West Wing seemed to have ended as the Mad Men pilot was shooting, and then Top of the Lake was filmed during a break of Mad Men, and then there's like five movies in a row (laughs) at the end of Mad Men, and then you go on to what you're doing now, The Handmaid's Tale, you haven't stopped working like, since you were eight.
1: I think it looks more like that than it actually is. Well,
0: it's a huge body of work to be as young as you are. And it just makes me wonder if you've ever tested out what you're like in a period of inactivity. Like, do you know? Yep. Do, you, do you know yourself? It's not good. Yeah, what happens when you don't have work?
1: Uh, it's not a good situation. No, it's, it doesn't actually, lately it hasn't happened that often. And what's great about the position that, I've sort of worked really hard to get to is that I know that this is the time that I have off, as opposed to earlier in my career when I was just unemployed, you know? Right. Very <laughs> there's different. There's a very different there's very different between being broke and unemployed and not being able to get a job and having, you know, months of hoping get you'll get something and like living off of residual checks.
0: Did you have that period?
1: Oh yeah. For sure.
0: Like when you were 11?
1: <laughs> yeah, when I was 6. <laughs> Real rough period sucked. when I was 6 there. Could barely make the rent. Yeah, uh, No, yeah, for sure, because even after I was on the West Wing, because I started that when I was 17, even after that it was a reoccurring character. So, yeah, there were periods, there was like two years when I wasn't on the show, like I wasn't, oh, yeah. you know, and I didn't make a lot of money anyways on the show, like as a reoccurring character, you know, so it it for me it was... Fantastic money because I, you know, I needed it, but it definitely meant that there were periods of massive unemployment. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just kept going. I mean, I think that as an actor, you know, it's a the the tough part about being an actor is that you are amongst a, a lot of other people who want to be actors too. So it's not, and and you're not necessarily any more deserving than anyone else. There's a lot of really good actors out there. Uh, but you have to know that and deal with that. And if that's what you want to do with your life, go for it. But you have to know that it's not going to be easy.
0: Yeah, I get the sense that you take full responsibility for your success or failures. Is that that's sort of nice. the way you were raised?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was, yeah that's a good point. I was raised definitely um, as a, da- I was a dancer for many years. And then my whole family of musicians. So we were raised with the concept of you have to practice every day. And you have to work really hard to get anywhere. To even get remotely good at your craft and even then you may not make it and even if you make it that idea that that may not actually be very like lucrative <laughs> or right. with ballet as well it was the same thing you know I had to you have to go to class every day you have to practice you have to get better and it's up to you and only you like your teacher can tell you what to do but it's up to you to do it and I think that that I guess was just how I that was my that was how I was raised like that's what yeah, that's what came n- not naturally, but I didn't think any other way.
0: Do you think you were born serious, and and your personality was just going to get serious about whatever you pursued, or do you think that was taught to you?
1: It's a good question. You're good at this. Um, <laughs> you should I'll consider doing this for real. <laughs> um, <laughs> making this into a real talk show
0: with real cameras. Yeah, yeah, and, with
1: yeah. like with film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know if serious is the right word, but um, I suppose dedicated.
0: Was there anything you quit before ballet? Like, did you have piano lessons and you quit? or?
1: Yeah, but that was mainly because I didn't have time. Oh, really? Because that's the other thing, is like, I was always raised with the concept of not being a dilettante. Like, that when you took something up... If you, you didn't dabble in it, like you, if you wanted to do it, you were going to practice and you were going to be disciplined and you were going to learn how to do it properly. So for me, I love the piano and I still actually have a, have a dream of learning to play the piano one day, but I don't want to just learn how to. I don't want to just bullshit around. Like, I want to learn how to play the piano.
0: So, if you start playing the piano, we won't see you in anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll know I've taken she's like, up the piano. What to her? Well, she's she's <laughs> she's, practicing. she's a pianist now, apparently. <laughs> it's, it's like in some orchestra somewhere. Uh, yeah, like the, the I, I wanted to play the piano, but it was just not enough, not enough time to practice because I was at ballet class.
0: And what do you think it was about ballet that that was it that your parents? didn't do ballet or was it that just something about the dance that like were you good at it naturally
1: um i always think like it, it's such a hard question to answer because it's like what make uh, what is it that brings you joy when you play an instrument it's you know what is it that bring, what, what is that feeling why do you feel this certain way when you dance like i don't know it just i loved it and i i i it felt right it felt the same way that I feel about acting, which is it feels um, like something that it's sort of on another plane, and I feel at home, and I feel my happiest, and I feel like everything is like right in the world. And I felt the same way when I was dancing. Not all the time. I mean, there was also times when I was, like, fucking tired and yeah. it hurt, or I was stressed, or, you know, um, or disappointed or you know which is the same in acting too but when you're really doing it like for me when the camera's rolling and I'm just acting everything is right
0: but it sounds like you crossed that threshold and and we're on to that next level before you decided to go into acting, right? Yeah, yeah. I Like, think, you got good.
1: Yeah, I was, I was, like, on my way to, you know, kind of be a professional, and I came to that crossroads of do I, I was 15, and do I continue with this and go all the way, which would have required me to stop acting. And I hit that crossroads, and luckily my mom, who's super smart and awesome, sort of sat me down and talked to me, and she was like, I want you to do whatever you really want to do, and like work. That's what we're gonna do. But I really want you to think about like what the life is, you know, and the fact that
0: like picturing what it actually looks like.
1: Yeah, and it was a conversation. It was not like I want you to look at this. It was not like that at all. I remember just talking to her, sitting on my bed, and I probably talked more than she did, which is very much my like my mom. You know, she kind of has a way of getting you to just kind of start talking and figuring things out for yourself, and. Um, in the conversation as i was talking and i was laying it out i was like right i will be my age now 34 and if i'm lucky if i make it if i don't get injured all of those things have to happen first then maybe i will be successful and then then it would not be very long from now before it would be over right and now that i am 34 i'm like oh thank god because i don't feel like an old lady yet well sometimes i do but i don't feel like i'm done yet so i i'm very very grateful and i also just didn't i couldn't i suppose in that moment i could envision giving up ballet but i couldn't envision giving up acting and then that's i mean what are you going to do
0: but amazing to make that kind of decision at that age and not also think there's all these other things I haven't tried yet college there's you know there's
1: yeah no interest <laughs> no interest in anything else like that was it was like I it was either ballet or acting and you did it
0: never cross your mind like well what if the acting thing doesn't work what will I do next like did you have any kind of plan B in place
1: no. <laughs> you didn't. Quite stupidly, no. <laughs> like, literally, like, re- there were like a couple times, maybe, you know, when I was sort of broken and, and, and having a bit of trouble getting a job. There were definitely times when I was a little like, I'm screwed. Like, I don't know how to do anything else. Like, this is it. I don't, I got nothing.
0: Who would talk you down off that ledge?
1: Just myself.
0: <laughs> really?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, an, that's, what, that's what you do as an actor, I think. I, and I also, like, I can't really complain about it because I was very lucky in the sense of, because I'd been working for so long, getting into the nitty gritty now, because I'd been working for so long, I always got residuals. So I actually never had to go take a waitressing job. I never had to work at a bar. I never had to do the things that a lot of actors, literally 99.9% of actors have had to do. Right. So I have trouble complaining about it and don't talk about it that much because as an actor, I'm like, I kind of had it easy in the sense of I could live off of something. And I think I thought I'd maybe go to college at one point, but it was really just I wanted to move to New York. Really? Yeah, and I was, like, really into Felicity, and I was like the whole fantasy of like going to NYU was something exciting to me, but I think it was just, I wanted to play somebody who like went to college.
0: (laughs) That's that's an actor response. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: So I kind of thought about that briefly, but then I got on the West Wing when I was 17. And there's your history
0: education. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) I feel like I learned more history from the West Wing than from college history. It's true.
1: You probably did. I I, I would rather have my history from Aaron Sorkin, by the way, any day. (laughs) Yeah. Much more interesting. But yeah, I think um, perhaps it was just blind, uh, you know, just stubbornness, but I just... Refused to invest in anything else. Wow. <laughs> Could have not worked out, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, very dangerous proposition, but I, it luckily so far, I'm okay.
0: I think you're okay.
1: I'll live off of Mad Men residuals if everything goes bad. <laughs> That's
0: right. That's right. Well, I wanted to ask you about um, your parents and how they felt about that decision. Because you graduated high school, you were homeschooled and you graduated yeah. early, right? Yeah, I got so my like, GED when I was 15. For a parent, that's like having a kid three less years.
1: I guess so, yeah. But I think, I don't know, we just didn't think like that. We just, we weren't, the whole family didn't live with any sort of any sort of normal schedule, any sort of normal way of doing things because of this sort of musician lifestyle. Right. You know, so for me to do something artistic was so not unusual. I yeah. think if I had go, tried to go to college and, and be a doctor, I think that would have been like. You're gonna like, do wait what?
0: a minute Yeah, wait a minute <laughs> let's
1: sit th- sit down honey <laughs> yeah. we're gonna talk we have,
0: to, <laughs> yeah. we have to talk we
1: have to have a fucking talk so yeah it wasn't like you know that was sort of the, the vibe more than anything else
0: if you would have become a lawyer, you probably re- would have really disappointed Yeah, 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 totally,
1: really disappointed my parents. My mother would have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Throwing really? your life away. <laughs>
0: Law school, come
1: <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> no, really, it probably would have been a little like that. Where did arts, we go wrong? Arts, yeah, exactly, what did we do? <laughs> arts is so valued in my family, so I feel like it's, it's very much something that is revered, and I think it would have been really weird for them.
0: What I take away from that is, yeah so much of the world is upside down in terms of the options that are open to a kid. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really valuable. And, it
1: is, absolutely. And it made
0: it real to you.
1: Yes, exactly. And they would have honestly supported me in whatever I wanted to do, you know.
0: So I'm always curious about actors that start young, because when you're successful as a kid acting and then you become an adult, it seems like there's, there has to be some wake-up time when you realize the wealth of what you were doing instinctually, and now you have an adult brain and you can think about it.
1: I feel honestly like um, I don't feel that different now than I did when I was ten on set. Like, so
0: you can still access the way you act, like the way you did as a child.
1: I think so because I never, I never had any formal training, so I don't have any like thing to make it any more. Complicated or make it any more um, technical. So for me, it is all instinctive. <laughs> it is all instinctual. It is all um, based on what's happening in the moment and the other actor and the re- you know the communication that's happening between the two of you. That's everything for me. You know, I'm I'm always very like interested in playing off of the other people in the room. You know, right. it's not just me there. So it's from people ask me about acting it's like i get a little like i don't really know how to describe it like it's uh it's very it's of an intangible thing to me and i don't feel that different about it and i haven't all these years except i know myself a little bit more and i kind of know I, I know a little bit more about how i do things and so i can help myself a little bit more
0: but putting words to the process is still...
1: Yeah, I like, I don't know how to describe a lot of it.
0: Yeah, you know, it brings up a thought. I made this film a while back, and it was a music documentary, and the, the guy in the film was playing a thing on the guitar, and it started out finger-picking and kind of quiet, and then halfway through the song... He plays with a pick. Uh
1: huh. And I go, How'd you do that?
0: And he tried to show me how to do it, and then he realized he didn't he know could, how to do it. Didn't, he didn't Right, right, right.
1: It. this is Wilco? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That's amazing. And Jeff
0: didn't know how to do it. Wow. Once, once he was asked,
1: he couldn't figure out the mechanics of it.
0: And then it, he sort of lost it for a minute. And That's amazing. And he had to like go, oh, I just have to not think about
1: totally. it. Totally. That's exactly that's, right. That's exactly it.
0: Isn't that funny? For me. I'm, I mean, it brings up a question about what about acting is still. Mysterious to you? I mean, is it still mysterious in some ways when it works?
1: Yeah, all of it. Like, absolutely, because I can't describe it. So it's 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 this combination of mysterious, and I also think like totally simple. If that makes any sense, you know.
0: Like, do you ever worry when you start a new job that maybe it won't work this time?
1: Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's the. This is the thing that I've learned. This is that this is how I have figured out some mechanics or technique over the years, uh, which is to understand that that's okay and to understand that sometimes what you think is going to be there in a scene or what you imagine should be there in a scene, sometimes it isn't. So sometimes you'll go into a scene and you think, for example, oh, this is going to be like a big dramatic, like crying scene, and you go into the scene, and for one reason or another, it's not there. and. I have learned over the years that that's okay, and that either I've learned how to get there if I need to, or to recognize that's not what the scene is. You were wrong, and that's not what it is anymore. And to go in that direction and to also then know which one you're supposed to do.
0: It sounds like if you come in with the expectation that it's a big scene, you're supposed to be crying. Yeah. And you don't feel that. Yeah. And then you make yourself cry. Well, then you're acting and that's actually bad.
1: Yes and no. Okay. Because for me, it's all acting. It's all, that. it's not, it's totally fake for me. It's not something that I'm like, I don't think about my dead dog and I don't think about, you know, actually tragic things. Right. So for me, it it is all pretend, but it's about this sort of wrangling whatever it is and figuring out how to um, parse it out in a scene. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And I, I would say throughout your career, you have this ability to register very subtle shifts that transfer to the audience and we can follow the emotional plot of of the story through these very subtle things you're doing and and i'm not explaining it well but no it's really nice you know what a good example is is the first episode of top of the lake Mm. you're in the bedroom with the woman who plays your mom Mm -hmm. and she calls you uh hard oh yeah And, and you bristle and i think Bristling is like blushing. It's yeah, yeah. not something you do, it's just some like a thought sort of takes over your skin or whatever. Yeah. I guess this is the big question about acting for me. Yeah. If it was all fake, I don't know how you could keep up with having these emotional changes in real time in the scene with the other scene partner. Yeah. It, like, I would swear that what's happening is you are really bristling. Right. Somehow there's a truth in that room yeah, yeah. that's making you bristle. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's true. That is true. It's a it's both, I think. Because it's not you that's bristling, it's the character.
0: So But you're the character.
1: But I'm not. But I'm the actor playing the character. Because here's what's happened here's here's another thing that happens, it's really interesting, is I find maybe and I'm sure this doesn't happen to all actors, but I find that when i'm acting it's like there's two things going on because i'm thinking as the character obviously in the moment like you're saying yeah. you know in the beats of the scene as the character you're thinking as the character and you're acting as the character but there's also this other person who's look, who's aware of where the camera is who's looking at the mark who's ignoring the guy on his phone over there you know who's you know what i mean yeah. who's doing things that are not the character so you that have to have sense? that dichotomy yeah, to be able to do it. Exactly. But also, everything that, like, everything that we say here, and this is where it gets like where I, I don't believe in like, necessarily having a technique, because everything that we talk about here, everything that we say here could easily just get thrown out the fucking window. Right. And they could, none of it could apply for one particular scene and all of a sudden it is real tears, or all of a sudden it is something that you completely forget about, that there's a camera there, you know what I mean? So it's like, for me, there are no set rules for acting. There are no, it's what works for you, and it's also what works for you on that day, that at 2 p.m., or, or you know, whatever time it is, in that particular scene, and it could be something completely new that has never worked for you before. Right. That's why it's difficult to categorize for me and to make it mechanical for me.
0: Do you think that's why you love it?
1: Maybe.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Hey, let's take a little break from the conversation so we can hear from this week's sponsor, Lightstream. You know, if you're like most people, you carry a balance on your credit cards. And if those cards come in with high interest rates, then you'll need Lightstream. What is Lightstream? They make credit card consolidation loans so that you can put all of your debt in one place and get a much lower rate of interest. It's so easy to lower your interest rate and save with Lightstream. And you can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. You can get a loan anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are absolutely no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. In fact, here's a real-life quote from a real-life Lightstream customer. And I quote, I heard a commercial and I checked into a consolidation loan and just a few hours later, I had my approval and funds ready to be transferred. The experience was awesome. And you know, there's no shame in having credit card balances. In fact, some of the greatest artists of all time have maxed out credit cards in order to get their projects done. God, if Lightstream was around when the Coen brothers were putting together Blood Simple, I'm sure they could have gotten a much better rate when they maxed out their credit cards. So you gotta check out Lightstream. And you can apply today to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash camera. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash camera. Now my favorite part, the disclaimer. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash camera for more information. Boy, I can really talk fast. Now back to the conversation. You know, Mark Duplass uh when he was talking about the film you two did together, The One I Love, he said that you seemed very laid back, cool, relaxed, and yet the sound man would have to move the... Love, mic away from your heart because right before action was called on the scene your heart started beating really fast
1: yeah i don't know what it is and it's something that does happen to me like and it happens very specifically in scenes that i'm either it's not that i'm nervous about them it's some it's 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 usually by the way it's usually a scene that i love It's a scene that I love and I cannot wait to do it.
0: Is part of that you don't want to let the scene down? I don't know.
1: It's just a physical reaction starts happening that I love the scene and then then that's the first thing that happens. And then also when I hit that like sweet spot and you're just, you know you're in the groove. Like if you were a musician, you would say in the groove, you know. You're just like, you just know you're like right where you need to be. And my heart starts pounding so hard that I swear other people can hear it, but definitely the sound department or anyone with headphones can hear it. It's a, it there's a film called Queen of Earth that yeah. Alex Ross Perry did, and he, that's the only person who's ever kept it in the track, so it's actually in the film. My heartbeat during this big monologue that I give.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: and I love it when it happens, though, because it means that I'm totally 1,000% present and existing on exactly the level that I need to be. And um, I, I, I love it when it happens, but I don't know why it happens.
0: That is fascinating. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's
1: so weird.
0: What I hear you saying is that although there is no hard and fast rule and no way to get there and and it could all go out the window tomorrow, there is some process that takes place, whether it's intellectual or not, that you have to get to. Totally. Do you think that your brain works differently? Like if if you're, I don't know, at a restaurant or something, do you think part of your brain is, is observing? Do you find yourself to be an observer of behavior or do you think you just know?
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe almost, maybe subconsciously, because I don't think, I. you know. I'd you don't think, go
0: out and do the research no, and sit and listen n- to couples having a fight or...
1: No. I mean, that sounds fun, but no. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds great, But more on like, like a gossipy level. Um, <laughs> no, but I do think that there is something to... There, I think you're right in the sense that there may be a connection between me sort of believing um, in the the dichotomy of people and the complexity of people and how people sort of do one thing on the outside and maybe feel something else on the inside. All of that I do think and can observe in people and like try to put into the characters. But I don't think it's like a conscious, a conscious thing. Unless I'm specifically, like, researching a person or character.
0: Oh, it'll, it'll be conscious after this conversation.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Now you've had to Now I'm going to do it, it. Now I'm going to be, like, staring <laughs> Wait a at minute. people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel like that, um, I do try to honestly leave work behind, like, when I'm not on set. Like, I don't take it with me.
0: You know, everything you describe sounds like an athlete or sounds like a dancer.
1: Yes, yeah, like,
0: true. You, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, the idea of when you're not playing, just... Don't think, be instinctual. Totally. Be in the moment, be present.
1: Totally. I think it's really important. I think it's really important to like step back and take a break from things because then you just don't get any perspective.
0: Yeah. You know? I wanted to ask you about it's like, really
1: fun, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm enjoying
0: myself. And, and I'm sorry. I just I like going into the weeds on this stuff, even if there aren't perfect answers. No, because it's great. I you find things.
1: Actors love talking about acting, as you probably have learned. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I love talking about it too. Because
1: it's so I I feel like it's so dumb to talk about. So if I find anybody that wants to talk about it, I I love talking about it.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's dumb at all. I think that it's Thank one you. of those things. Someone said it on here recently that it's the only profession where no one gets to a point and says. I've learned all there is to know. That's true. You know? Like, yeah. It's, that's what I find so amazing and mysterious about it. Yeah. Know? Like, how do you describe that process to where you, you get to the point where you're like, OK, now it's, not, now it's not owned by the script. Now it's owned by me.
1: I would say, I mean, there's like sort of specific, more like technical things that I would do um, for me, which is very, very important for me to know the lines really, really well. Um, then again, I don't really learn them until the day of. Is that true? Yeah, because uh, I'm very pretty pretty good at memorizing lines.
0: So how do you know the person without having to memorize the specific lines?
1: Like technically, like really, like what do I do? Like pre- like preparing for yeah. a role? For me, I started with the music. Uh, and for me, if I can find what the character, what the music for the character is, I know who she is because for me... Who a person is is very difficult to put into words. But what I love about music is you can express something without using words, and it can capture an intangible quality that I couldn't describe to somebody. You know, um, that's where I start in this really intangible yeah. place. <laughs> uh, and then, I'll, uh, what I've started doing lately, I started on top of the lake because Jane. Campion told me to do it, and it was such a great idea that I started to do it, uh, which was I make a I make a chart like I, I it's like so dumb, but I make like I all these different colored pencils and pens, and I literally make like a I chart out the arc of the character throughout the entire season or film or whatever it is. So give
0: me an example of of a of a heading on the chart. What what is it? Say? It'll be like
1: Top of the Lake or TOTL episode one, and it's graph paper. Okay. Then I write at the bottom. The scene number, and then on the side, I write. Well, this kind of changes over here, but it's kind of sort of like an emotional kind of scale. Like somebody's doing really well, they're up here, and if somebody's at the bottom of their arc, when they're really bottomed out, will be down at the bottom, you know. And so I, I mark them out on the graph of where they are, scene by scene. It's really? so nerdy. No, it's yeah. not
0: nerdy. It's fascinating <laughs> because what you're saying is life isn't linear or or full of dialogue or intellectual it's life is is marked and tracked by emotional highs and lows
1: right i guess so yeah and it for me it's just a way of Cause then say you had six episodes, Top of the Lake, right? right? So then if you put them all together, you can go, oh, that's what it is. And it just, especially if you're shooting something out of order, right. you're shooting six hours out of order, it's a nightmare. Like to try to keep all that, sh- you know, you, you all of a sudden you're doing. We would with Top of the Lake for the first season, we would do episodes three, six, and four in one day, and all out of order. So I think
0: that that part to me baffles me how you hold yeah. that together. And it baffles
1: then, me too. Yeah, and then <laughs> it, and
0: then it actually works in the edit. It's
1: crazy. I don't know how it works. But part of like what made it better and easier was being able to look at this stupid chart and be like, oh, cool, right before this, I went all the way down there, so now I have an idea of what happened. But then, and here's the twist, is that after about a month or two at most, I never look at it again. And I don't know where it goes and I don't care about it and I don't want to see it anymore.
0: It's just part of the process. It's just like
1: part of the process. It's not like something that I like refer to the whole time.
0: So once you see it, you sort of you get the highlights of your head and yeah. it's there.
1: I think it's just a matter of organizing it in your head and then you're going and then you're like, okay, cool. Maybe it's just about taking away the anxiety about it. Like right. maybe that's the trick. I don't know. But it just organize it in your head and then it changes, you know, but it doesn't matter because you're not looking at the thing anymore. So that's the literal literal technical process. That's the uh, of what I of what I do. And then um then the rest is I don't know <laughs> what category is it.
0: But at one point, do you just go, "Okay, that that person's in me now." And
1: Yeah, like it it, it happens at all different points. Um and it's it's but the thing is is like what do I know as well? Like sometimes you think the person is in you and they're not, or sometimes you you think they're in you now, but they were totally in you before. You know, so it's kind of your own. Ju- I feel like your own judgment is a little like skewed.
0: Have you learned to rely on your own judgment or to ignore your own judgment? Both. Really?
1: Literally both. Like some. T- it's a. It's like it's 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 every scene is different. You know what I mean? So sometimes you'll do a scene and and. You are like, that was amazing. That's exactly what I wanted to do. I feel so good about that. And you know it and you're right. And then sometimes you can do a scene and think that it was terrible and it was actually good. Or right. you can do a scene where you think it was good and actually it wasn't that good at all. So it, you can't, that, that's, that's where the hard and fast rules go out the window for me.
0: How do you kind of regulate your own critical voice with that? and yet still get the information you need to get, like in terms of watching the monitor or talking to the director about the dynamics?
1: Um, it's usually the director for me. It is? Yeah, I put so much faith in them because they're your eyes. I mean, they're the person who has to be... Um, they have to be telling you whether or not you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, so for me, I put a lot of faith in the director. And if I... Uh, unless I really, really feel like, no, we need to go again, there's something else I want to try, which I'm. I will be the first person to say, if they think it's good, if they think we've got it, then we've got it. You know, And that's their job, to do that.
0: Well, I would say, going back to the example in Top of the Lake of that, when you sort of bristle, I would think it would take a tremendous amount of experience to know that what you did was even picked up by the camera. Is that something you had to Mm, learn? That that I'm giving it enough so the camera can see it? Or, Or did you learn at one point that if you feel it, the camera sees it?
1: I feel like I definitely got better at it, I guess, and more aware as I started doing more and maybe seeing more of myself. But it's still a discovery for me. Like, I still am not... I'm still surprised by things. Like with Handmaid's Tale, someone at one point said to me, and I kind of wish they hadn't said it. I don't even remember who it was, so I can't even blame it them. It wasn't me. I know it wasn't you. But someone at some point said to me, do you do that thing with your neck on purpose? And I was like, what thing with my neck?
0: And <laughs> production shut down. Yeah, <laughs> <three weeks>. exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly. As I like tried to figure you out like... You specialists around totally. the country. And then realized, because I did watch dailies and stuff, like I, I realized that I, I was the, my neck would do this like twitch thing sometimes you know what I mean like the vein or whatever I don't know they, like, it would just do like a twitch thing and I was like I'm not doing that on purpose and then it took me like a second to kind of go okay get rid of that don't don't think about that neck thing that you do anymore and I did get rid of it and it was fine but like I I didn't know that that happened.
0: I would think that would be something you would never want to know.
1: Oh yeah, it's definitely not something that you want to know for yeah. sure. Yeah, it was. I should not have been told that, but it's okay. Um, I would have probably have discovered it eventually myself. <laughs> but it was just me having thoughts, and it was just me acting and having emotions happen, and that's how it manifested itself because I couldn't say anything, you know, or do anything. Right. Um, and and so that's what I mean by that's something that's like, it's sort of still happening, that discovery.
0: Right. Well, let's talk about Handmaid's Tale because it's fascinating. And it's, you know, uh, first off, talk about number one on the call sheet, (laughs) you know, to the 10th power. (laughs) We are inside your head throughout this whole story. And the camera's here all the time. It's raw. You're not wearing makeup. And we are getting to go on the ride of the most unspeakable emotional, you know, breakdown and psychological breakdown of somebody who's dealing with a society in a situation they can't imagine could have ever happened to them. Mm. I mean, for people who don't know, this is a book by Margaret Atwood that was written in, I think, 85. Mm -hmm. And it's a dystopian novel about what would happen if the United States went to a totalitarian regime and sort of adopted puritanical values at the same time.
1: That's perfect. Okay. Good. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to let him do this. I've done, I've said this so many times. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, obviously the series is getting a ton of attention because of the parallels with some of the things that have been happening with our new presidential, off, you know, regime that mm-hmm. seems like it could be on the authoritarian track if we're not careful. And mm-hmm. what fascinates me about it is that I am not usually a fan of dystopian literature or mm. or, or films because oftentimes the message is is you know the story is just a vehicle for the message yeah in most of it and what I found in this is that the human story is completely captivating
1: cool
0: it's funny if you're doing a sci-fi you're not going to go I'm going to change my acting now to make it more sci-fi right Right? you have to approach every story very differently it's almost like the writer can play God and the and the actor has to Question the existence of God or not right. know, totally. just to not know, right? Yeah. I wonder if there's a very, a big difference between being attracted to a story and then playing a character because you you can't have judgment as an actor, right? Is that, is that the case with you? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. Like for me, as a feminist, I really get behind so many things in the book and so many things in the show, like, right. and I'm very excited about them because they there's so much that align with my personal beliefs. Then there's the character who I approach as a human being, and, and in the book especially, is very complicated. And you'll see as the show develops, is quite flawed and doesn't always make the right choice. She's not the perfect heroine. And those are all the things that make it interesting for me. Right. I don't approach any character in any other way except for evaluating them as a, as a human being, as a person. And also, there's the thing of, like, I believe, like, as every sort of heroine that you play, every sort of good guy that you play, you should find the stuff that's villainous and bad about them, and that makes it more interesting. And vice versa, if you're playing a villain, you know, or some quote-unquote um, bad person, you should probably go find all the good things about them because that just makes it so much more interesting. And I think
0: also to remember that with the exception of maybe complete psychopaths, <laughs> humans don't really see their actions as bad or good in the present right. of judging them. Right, They sort of see them as a binary thing of I have to do that or I don't.
1: Yeah. Anne Dowd's character, Aunt Lydia, is a great example. I mean, Anne right. Dowd's one of our greatest actresses. And you have one conversation with her about it and you'll walk away being sort of... Put in your place because she will tell you, and I and I agree with her that Aunt Lydia, even though she is villainous and even though she does bad things sometimes in the show and in the book, she cares more about those girls than anybody does. Well, and we should say Aunt
0: Lydia is the character that prepares the handmaids for their future assignment of being assigned to the homes to to be wombs with legs.
1: (laughs) Yes, and trains them to be these sort of hosts.
0: She's the drill sergeant. Preparing her army yeah. for battle.
1: Yeah, and sometimes she has to punish them when they go out of line. If you talk to And out about it, it's so interesting because she speaks about her in the terms of, like, how much love she has for these girls. That she loves them and cares about them and protects them more than anyone. And that's why she's fucking brilliant. It's because she, fa- she finds what is not necessarily good about the character, but what the character actually thinks. Because you don't think you're a bad person if you're a villain. No, most bad. of us don't use
0: cattle prods.
1: That's true. But it's a good way for her, if you asked Aunt Lydia about it, she would think that it was good because it actually didn't kill the person or permanently injure them. Right. Or affect their fertility. It just
0: really woke them up.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: No, but I think that, that to me, is that's something that, I mean, maybe it's obvious, but until you really think about it, yeah, you don't realize that that's something that has to go on for a good actor. Yeah. They have to, if not love, they have to totally justify and and understand and empathize with the decisions they make as a character. Totally. They can't sit there and judge them. Totally. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You cannot have judgment.
0: You know, my daughter, uh, for her class project today, gave her culmination speech, and she did it on women's rights. She did? She did. And How old is she? She is in fifth grade.
1: Oh, my God. And, and, that's amazing.
0: And it's funny because she made a timeline, and she went up to a woman's right to vote in 1920, and then she said the next big movement was in the 60s, mm. where women moved into the workplace and tried to demand equal pay. And I just thought it is a bit, it is a bit ironic that you're playing a character whose rights in Handmaid's Tale are being undone rights that seemed permanent. Mm. Like for me growing up, Roe v. Wade. Well, there you go. The Supreme Court decided now we have that. That's it's the permanent. end of that. That's the end of that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the way you believe. And then you can't believe that we could go backwards yeah. from that. And it's funny that your character on Mad Men sort of was in that in that era of building all these things up, that now are being taken away yeah. in the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And look, I'm not trying to say, oh, this is these are roles that you choose or that you have a grand plan.
1: But it is like, I get what you're saying. It is like there's the, it's not completely, it's accidental in the sense of I'm not actually searching for certain types of roles but I do seem to gravitate towards certain types
0: of roles. Well, what do you think is the through line of your choices?
1: I would say, um, for me, the the, the unifying thing that I try to find and hopefully comes across is the uh, strength yet vulnerability of women, that I am interested in the idea that women can be heroes and can be strong and can be feminists and can also be flawed and make mistakes or in Peggy's case be naive or young. You know, just things that or fall in love with the wrong person, you know, right. that there's there's that we're not perfect. And that interests me. And that is a through line that I can see for sure with you know with with Peggy with with Robin in Top of the Lake and then with June in in Handmaid's Tale. That is a through line that I can see. And I would say also, though, to your earlier point, though, about the roles, I feel like it's not entirely my doing. I think that throughout the past few years, as I've come of age, the interest in strong, interesting female leads and characters has... Risen, yeah. Especially on TV. Do you know what I'm saying? Between the two of that, it's not necessarily me. That's It's, it's the, the roles that are being written, which is fantastic.
0: No, I mean, what you're describing when you say you want a a woman who can be heroic and yet flawed. Yeah. You're basically just saying, I want a woman to be rec- represented accurately on yes, the screen. Yes,
1: absolutely. Men have been given the opportunity to play those roles for a very long time.
0: Did this show or this role did it feel like a different level of responsibility because of the, you know, the story being so much about you in your head and, you know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of not only the success or failure of it on a commercial level, but in terms of, of the exposure you have in terms of being connected to the final thing,
1: absolutely. but also the producer side of it definitely gave me like so much more right on you my shoulders, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the actor part of it, I mean, you can't really think or worry that that much about it. Like, I felt responsible for for my part in everything that I do. You know what I mean? So it felt a little bit more, but also kind of like easier in a way because I think it's actually easier to be in something a lot more because you have a lot more chances to like get it right
0: right. you know as
1: opposed to just like coming in and doing like one or two scenes and then you're done that's terrible that's hard to do so like if you can actually like be there all day you're great you've got like five chances to get this right today (laughs) you know but for me being a producer that definitely added a, a whole other level of responsibility.
0: And was that an eye-opening experience? Is there an example of, oh, I didn't realize I'm going to have to actually do this on top of acting?
1: Yeah, like nine million examples. Really? Of, yeah, for sure.
0: Did that affect your performance being a producer and having to sort of look at your performance?
1: No, you know what's interesting is I have always been one of those people that was like, I don't like to watch myself. I don't do like I don't ruin my process. You know what I mean? That yeah. was like, oh no, it's gonna like put me inside my head. And then I had to get over it because there's an episode in the show that I'm I'm, I'm not in as much. And from that from that point on, I watched dailies, and because I was like, all of a sudden, I wasn't gonna be on set because I saw everything before, and all of a sudden, they were gonna be shooting things I wasn't gonna see. So from that point on, I started to watch dailies, and I just kind of got over it, like. I thought I would be so in my head about it, and it would affect my performance. And I just, you just separate them.
0: What a great thing to learn, right? Yeah,
1: really, really great. And you're watching other things too. You know, you're not just watching yourself. You're watching other things, and it's actually kind of great because I worked with Kate Blanchett once, who the show, the the movie that I worked with her, on. she watched the monitor all the time. And I remember being like, "Wow, Kate Blanchett watches the monitor." And you know, I don't know if she does that on every film. She did it on this film that we did called Truth, and. I kind of was like, wow, that's amazing. She's one of my favorite actresses. I can't believe she can do that. Now, I kind of I get it. There's something about it that actually you find helpful at a certain point.
0: Do you find that when you see the story put together, it's a different experience than you had shooting it?
1: If it is, then it I usually find we need to fix it. Oh, we, see, that's interesting. Yeah, it's something that we just did. I often find that if I watch something and it's not it's not what we did or it's not the scene that we felt then we should fix that because it should be and it's doesn't it's not about the camera it's not about um you know it's not even necessarily about the editing it's just about if it doesn't have that feeling that we had in the rehearsal or when we were shooting it then we should probably go find that you know and we literally just did that with one of the episodes where I said to 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 bruce our showrunner who i have to say is just the most incredibly collaborative person i've ever met i'm so lucky (laughs) like to have a showrunner like that it's truly it does not always happen like that and he's amazing in this sense but there was a scene and in we did a rehearsal and he was there for the rehearsal which he just sometimes isn't and um because he doesn't really like, to, like bother us and like be like standing there as the showrunner, over you know, the exactly yeah. over the director. He was standing over in, in, in the back of the room, and we did this rehearsal. And there's something happened in the rehearsal. There was this incredible tension. It was this wonderful scene, and he we both left together. And we were talking about how great it was. And then I saw the scene, and I was like, "It's not there. That's so weird." And I emailed him, and I was like, "You were there, like in that rehearsal. Like you know what that was. Like we have to find that again." And I went and watched all the dailies, and I wrote my emails with my little time codes that are, like, I'm sure super annoying to post-production. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and, and we got there, and the scene is fucking incredible now, you know, and it, and it basically is what we did on the day.
0: So not only were you not wanting to be a Vanity producer, but you also managed to find a collaborator yeah. who didn't want to make you a Vanity producer. Yes, because yes. i think that's important too so important because the truth is in a situation where you're on camera so much there could be you know if you don't have the right collaborator they could just work you into you know keeping you in your lane or oh absolutely you
1: absolutely and especially i hate to say it but especially as a woman you know there you you do often not often, but sometimes run into a little bit of like as, as a female actress, like a little bit of like a pat on the head and go back to your trailer kind of thing. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to be a producer on this, and one of the reasons why I connected with Bruce so much is that I didn't get that from him. And our process—he's also allowed me to learn. You know what I mean? He's allowed me to like make mistakes and then ask him, like, what's the right thing to do here? And it's totally okay to do that. Like, it's, there's no ego involved.
0: It's that funny thing, right? Because you're a famous actor. You've been working a long time. And there's a, there's a level of respect you're going to get on set because sure. you're Elizabeth Moss, the actress. But there's still that level of dismissiveness outside of that, mm. like respectful dismissiveness.
1: Yeah, totally. And or stay think, inside your box, stay inside your lane. Right. Yeah. And I think
0: that's a hard thing to talk about, uh, frankly, because it's so subtle.
1: Yeah, it's very subtle. Yeah, it's very subtle, and and you know, thankfully in my career, I've worked with really great people and haven't experienced it as much as I know so a lot of other people have. But I'm also being in front of the camera is a different thing, you know. There is a certain kind of like people have this like trying to kiss your ass or trying to like make you feel like they think you're great kind of thing. Whereas I think to you, kind of don't get as much of that behind the camera.
0: <laughs> well, I will say you're in that unique position of being so experienced for being your age. Yeah. The show you really cut your teeth on, The West Wing. Yeah. I think that show was the show that proved that TV could be as as valuable and as as important as film.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of them. Yeah.
0: And I think that for you, starting there, starting with Aaron Sorkin and Tommy Shlaubie. <laughs> and. It, it, did you walk onto Mad Men like you were the most experienced actress there? No, <laughs> it, but it seems like you were Thank you. in some ways,
1: right? I mean, that the thing about Mad Men is like ev- most of us, really, all of us, were all these like experienced actors who just weren't like incredibly famous, like you know, that had not like hit it yet, you know. But everyone had been working forever. Okay, and that was the same thing on The West Wing too. Like all of those actors had done. T- of shit in theater and film and television have been around like so experienced, and they maybe just you know, a few obviously had had you know, Rob Lowe seemed to do okay, yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> Martin Sheen made a couple of good, uh, good film. F- pictures, uh, but you know, there was a certain thing of like them all coming together in this moment and then really hitting a stride, and I felt like that every time. Like, I don't ever f- arrive on set feeling like. I get this. You don't. No, not even like second season of Top of the Lake, or any of the seasons of Mad Men. I've never go like I've never feel like okay, this is this one's going to be easy.
0: Gosh, it sounds like you don't take any of it for granted.
1: I don't. That's the thing. I really don't. Is that I've your been mom? around too long. It's my mom. It's also just I've been doing it for too long, and yeah. I understand that it goes away, and I understand that one. Time, you know, you have a success and then you have a failure, and, and I get that, and right. that's been my experience, it's what I've seen, um, and it just is the reality of it for me, you know? Even when I got to the West Wing, I remember I was 17, and I, my, like, one of my first episodes was, I was shooting when they were airing their first episode. Okay. But I remember they were all so nervous, and about the show premiering because it was like no one's going to watch this. It's too smart. It's too funny. It's too quick. <sighs> you know, just this is not going to They were really nervous about it. And it was interesting for me to see all of these what I thought were really experienced actors being nervous. Being so nervous and not feeling secure, you know, I'm thinking like, of course you guys are like got it made. You know, who cares? And I I think actors just have it ingrained in them to not take it for granted.
0: But at 17, that must have been a great lesson to see that like, yeah. no one has it figured out.
1: No. And also, I mean, I learned so much from those guys on that show. It was a very good thing to do that from like 17 to 23 because I learned so uh, they're so professional. That was the West Wing set I learned is how a set is supposed to be. And that is how an ensemble of actors is supposed to act and they showed it to me. They were professional, they were collaborative, there was no ego, they worked really hard, right. they had a great time. They didn't take it seriously, they didn't take themselves seriously, but they took the work seriously, and that was my lesson. Here was this amazing material, but they didn't, they, they worked hard at it, but they also took care of each other, and, that's, and then, then I thought, oh, that's what sets are like.
0: Isn't that amazing? Because, I mean, if anything in your career could be called luck, it would be that because if your first set just happened to be a show where everyone behaved poorly. Right. And I don't know, I can't think of a show where someone behaved poorly, but right. one bad apple can spoil the bunch or whatever. Or, or they're
1: all bad apples.
0: And, and from the top down, if there's someone at the top behaving bad. And totally. Like, you got to see the best of how it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, and then also to see people who were very grateful for what they had, were very excited about the opportunity, loved the material. Like, it, it they're very much set it up for me. They were so nice to everybody, too, especially Martin Sheen, so nice to everybody. The, every single member of the crew, all the background artists, like, he was just so generous and nice. And I, I'd i worked for a while, but I was still so young, you know, I was still forming. And and to see that, I was like, that's how one is on set. Right. That's number one. That's what number one does. And, you know? and
0: now you're number one.
1: Yeah, and I'm a fucking asshole.
0: <laughs> because screw Martin Sheen's <laughs> what?
1: system. You know what? the fuck does he know? Yeah,
0: seriously. <laughs>
1: Apocalypse Now? Whatever. Um, <laughs> you could totally keep that in the show, by the way. I'm so happy with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we finish, I have to ask you. I, I read something, and, and it just blew me away. Uh-oh. You said, and I, I don't know when this was or if— this was one of the things you said while you were drunk, but (laughs) you said directing probably wasn't your thing because you wouldn't know how to talk to actors. Yeah. And I thought, okay, of all the people in the world (laughs) qualified to talk to actors, it would be you. Like, I want to know why you think that that would be difficult even for you because you have so much experience.
1: I mean, I think for me, I very much value directors and I have so much respect for them. I think their job is incredibly hard. The decisions that you're making all day long Everyone's looking at you for answers, but the thing the thing that scares me the most about it is talking to actors. And I think it's because when and and when a director comes up to you and says something, they can fuck you up so quickly. Like they can say one thing and they can just you you're just you just are done, and you can't you're fucked. like the scene's done. Like you can't do it. You can't do whatever it was that you needed to do, or they can come to you and they can say something. And bring your art to a new level. So, for me, it's this incredibly powerful position. And I really understand, I think, as an actor, how influential a director can be on your performance, and um, in a good and a bad way. So, the idea of having to go up to an actor and either help them or hurt them is is terrifying to me. And I think as well, I mean, I think, I think anyone may have gathered, I, I have trouble talking about acting. I love talking about it, but it's difficult for me to um, put it into technical terms, or I don't know, it's difficult for me to translate. So I'm not saying I would never do it. I, I probably at some point will direct something, but down the line, way down the line, and I need to figure that out because it'll be
0: animals. You'll direct animals.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so when a director calls cut, yeah. gets up out of the chair and starts walking towards you, <laughs> is that? Are you? But are you thinking like this is either going to help me or ruin me? Like, is there some sort of dread with that walk over to you? No, I'm so used to it.
1: I'm so used yeah. – Yeah, it's not. I'm, I'm so used to it, and I'm also. I think I've gotten. Good at what happens if they do say something that's not helpful or that does hinder you, how to get past that.
0: How to just sort of put that aside yes. and go, I, well, that's just okay. not something Fuck I'm, that I can shit. Do.
1: Yeah, you know, like, we're just going to keep going. Uh, I've learned that as well uh, through just working, you know, and working with so many different directors um, who are very in skill but also just very in style. Right. You know, some directors come up to you and tell you exactly what they would like you to do and sometimes that's great. Some directors don't hardly ever speak to you at all sometimes and sometimes that's a good idea. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so and then it just depends. That's why there's again, I don't think there are any hard and fast rules.
0: But I I think it is telling that 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 seems to you to be the biggest yeah. thing standing in the way of directing is yeah. And maybe that shows how much respect you have for the acting process.
1: I hope so, yeah, and for the directing process. Like, I I think the reason why it affects me is because I care. You know, you can say one thing to me and it will actually hurt my feelings about my performance. So I, I actually do care what the director thinks, you know. And I think other actors do too. So I feel very, very... Um, protective of that process you know and also i just feel like there's a part of me that would probably want to go up to actors and just be like can you just stand this way <laughs> just
0: trust me you you'd, by day three this. you'd be giving them line <laughs> reads.
1: Totally. the worst <laughs> you, the Here, worst you stand ever. by the camera
0: i'll do your part <laughs>
1: can you imagine it'd <laughs> be so terrible if you were like you just go wide I'll, I'll, i got this one no no you just go sit down i'll do it that's fine <laughs> to be so terrible
0: Well, I I think there is a danger of being very good at something (laughs) that you assume other people can do it or... or
1: Totally. Or just, like, thinking that... Because acting is so... There's no right way to do things. It's just what communicates to the audience. It's just what what communicates what you're supposed to be doing with the scene. There's no, like, right way or wrong way to do it. So I may have some idea of how something should be done, and that's not how they're going to do it. And that's okay. And that's, like... I, you know, I you have to learn to be open to that.
0: That's the hardest part of being a director, I think, is ha- having some, you know, some form of control over the story you're trying to tell, while right. being open to people doing it in a way that you didn't plan totally. on. Totally,
1: and those are the best directors, and I've worked with them, and they're fantastic. The directors that, you know, I remember one very specific time with Jane Campion that taught me so much. She taught me so much, but she was doing. We were doing a scene and she kept giving me notes and kept giving me notes kept giving me notes and I just kind of was like I don't understand I don't understand what I'm doing wrong and it was frustrating and finally she like gave me a note and I went and I did it and it just wasn't working and I knew it wasn't working and then she came over to me after that take, and she said, "I'm so sorry. That was a terrible note." She was like, "That was awful," and and I was like, "It was. It was terrible. Your note was terrible. Then my acting was terrible." And we both just stood there laughing hysterically for like five minutes because we both just admitted to each other that we sucked for that fi- for the for that take. We both sucked, and that was a really incredible moment. Because here's Jane Campion arguably one of the best directors in the world, certainly in my opinion, but not only mine. And, and here she is going, eh, I don't know. <laughs> well, that was
0: wrong. <laughs> listen, I, from where I sit, you know, you, you're one of the greatest actors we have. And That's very for easy. you to be able to sit there with her And for her to say, I'm sucking, and you say, I'm sucking, (laughs) that's really what it is to be human. Yeah. And that's probably really the way to make great work is to just get past that thing of that person's going to think I suck if I don't, you know, if I reveal how much I think I really suck, I'm fired. Totally. That's the thing we all battle with.
1: Absolutely. And a really great director will allow you to have that experience. And that's the most valuable thing you can give an actor And the worst thing you can do is embarrass them.
0: Well, I hope I haven't embarrassed you here.
1: Not at all. I hope I'm I'm most likely embarrassed myself, so don't worry about it. (laughs) It's most likely me. Because we're all
0: human. Yeah. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. Thank you. And now that I've talked to you, I love this conversation. and, And I love hearing that you're so consistently good but you consistently don't have any way to get there each time and it's new every time and that's kind of what makes what you do exciting so thank you thank you for telling me about it
1: I really appreciate it thank you so much this has been so fun I could totally do this all day
0: great we'll just stay awesome we'll just turn off the camera Okay. perfect (laughs) (laughs) refill the drink
1: exactly we'll we'll, we'll switch to vodka perfect and switch these to copper (laughs) keep going
0: thanks for doing this thank
1: you so much thank you this is really awesome
0: Hey folks, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I've also been enjoying The Handmaid's Tale immensely, so go check that out. And if you haven't yet seen The West Wing and Mad Men and Top of the Lake, seriously, what have you been doing for the last, like, ten years? Elizabeth Moss is an amazing actress, and I just enjoy talking to her so much. It's not often that we get such a candid look into the process of an actor. And despite Elizabeth's claims to the contrary, I thought she did a fine job of describing a very unknowable craft. And I have to tell you, when I hear someone speak with such passion and detail about the creative process, it just gets me inspired. And I hope you guys feel that way too. That was a really fun episode. And speaking of episodes, did you know there's more than a hundred off-camera episodes with conversations like these about every facet of the creative life? If you haven't yet, go to our website, subscribe to offcamera.com, check out the app, check out the magazine, look into our archive. Also, if you have DirecTV or Netflix, check us out on television. It's a totally different way to experience the show. If you have any comments or questions about the show, you can always send me an email. I'm Sam at offcamera.com. On social media, we are Off Camera Show at Twitter and Instagram. I am Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram and Sam Jones on Twitter. So reach out, tell us what you think, and most of all, tell your friends about Off Camera. We don't have a big marketing budget or advertising budget, so we rely on you guys to spread the word to keep this show going. I want to say a quick thanks to everyone who helps us on this show. Crawford Shippy, our producer. Lara Kemper, who's running our offices. Michaela Galvin, who does camera work and graphic design. Nathan Shields, who is multifaceted sound editing, just sort of keeps the whole thing together. Cara Johnson, our transcriptionist. Amy Jones, our crack researcher and writer. There's also Justin Kennedy, who makes sure everyone has their pants on. And Matt Davidson, who keeps the bathrooms and kitchen looking spotless at all times. We couldn't do it without all of them. So thank you to everybody. See you next time off camera.